Welcome to Lessons from the Helpful Dead, where you'll learn the world is not what it seems and you are much more than you think you are. Here you'll learn about positive and reassuring messages from supposedly dead people whose main purpose is to help us. Find out what happens after we die, why we're here, how we got here, where we're going, and discover that you are really a powerful eternal spirit. I'm Dan McEnany. At the close of the last session, I said that we'd be discussing today the third step in our advancement, which is understanding that we create what we experience. But I'm not going to do that. That's because I understood that when I talked about probable selves a couple of sessions ago, I realized it was all pretty much conceptual and may not have as much meaning as it could have for each of us if we realized fully what it means. And then I came across uh, session 680 in 1974, where the entity Seth spoke through Jane Roberts uh, to Jane and her husband, Rob Butts, who also made extensive notes. In the course of that session, Seth gave a real-life example about probabilities using Rob's parents as the example. And Rob's mother uh, was named Stella. So when Seth refers to Stella, that's Rob's mother in this example. So I'm simply going to read from that session word for word as Seth dictated it. And then I'll add a few of my own comments and ask you to do some thinking on your own about your probable selves. Now, the first couple of paragraphs of what he said were a little bit conceptual and might be difficult to follow, but just don't let that bother you. So here's what he said. Give us a moment. Your parents literally did not share the same reality at all. This is not as unusual as you may think. They met and related in a place between each of their realities. It was not that they disagreed with each other's interpretation of events. The events were different. In terms of energy, intent is stabilizing. There is a center to the self, again, that acts as a nucleus. The nucleus may change, but it will always be the center from which physical existence will radiate. Physically, intent or purpose forms that center, regardless of its reality in terms of energy. In your family life in this reality, your parents acted opaquely to each other. There were strong energy shifts so that the personalities did not meet directly. Give us a moment. Some of this is difficult to explain. In a way, they were unfocused, yet each with strong abilities, but dispersed. There was a reason for this. They contained within themselves intense and yet blurred, blurred talents that were used as energy sources by the children. They came together precisely to give birth to the family and for no other main reason as far as their joint reality was concerned. They seeded a generation then. Your mother loved physical reality and took the greatest pleasure in its most minute aspects for all of her complaints. Your father loved it but never trusted it. Each of your parents had their strongest reality, this time, and in your terms, in a probable system of reality. And here, 
In this reality, they were offshoots. Now, offshoots are probable selves uh, that are not as strong in their focus as the main self. Right? To them, this system always seemed strange. In another system of reality, your father was, in fact still is, a well-known inventor who never married, but used his mechanically creative abilities to the fullest while avoiding emotional commitment. He met Stella. They were going to be married, and in terms of years, the same years are involved historically. At one time then, in your father's past, as you think of it, having met Stella, he did not marry her after all. His love was for machinery, the speed of motorcycles, mixing creativity with metal. At that point of intersection, equal desires and intents within him, be they became like twin nuclei. Whole regroupings of energy occurred, psychological and psychic implosions, so that two equally valid personalities were aware in a world in which only one could live at a time. By far, the creative, mechanically inventive personality began to outstrip the other. The father that you knew was the probable self, therefore. That probable self, however, dealt with emotional realities that the other avoided, and this was indeed his sole intent. This does not mean that such a personality is limited, basically, or that he does not collect about him new interests and challenges, for he, he is himself mobile. He even has many of the characteristics of the other self, though these, of course, are latent. But through having children, your father brought about the birth of emotional existence, full-bodied and alive, in sons. This was a great fulfillment on his part, for the inventor did not trust himself to feel much emotion, much less give birth to emotional beings. In that other probability in which your parents originally met, your mother married a doctor, became a nurse, and helped her, her husband in his practice. She became an independent woman, and again in your historical context, when it took some doing for a woman to distinguish herself. She had one son, then a hysterectomy, on purpose. She schooled herself rigorously, moved in social circles, hid the unschooled, naive aspects of herself. In that life, for example, she would certainly not wear red bows in her hair. All of the controlled energy made her somewhat bitter, though she was successful. She died in her 50s. Do you follow me? Yes. Her energy was such that it spilled over into this system with your father, however. Someday I will try to explain this more clearly in terms of energy patterns. Historically, however, many probabilities exist at once. When your mother died in her 50s in one probable system, your mother in this system was the recipient of energy that then returned. Your father's greatest vitality was in the inventor's reality. And so, in your terms, this one suffered. This does not mean that each personality, regardless of probabilities, is not endowed with free will and so forth. Each is born, in whatever system, from a source gestalt energy and develops. When your picture 
was taken, therefore, your parents were already living in a probable reality. But you and your brother Lyndon were not. Now take your break. The picture that Seth was referring to was a, a picture of Rob at age two. Now at this point in the session, Seth switched over to a discussion of Jane that he referred to as Rupert. He uh, talked about Jane and her probable selves. Now, there are basically no limitations to the self, and all portions of the self are connected. So the probable selves are aware unconsciously of their relationships. Because no system is closed, there are flows of energy between them and interaction. Some of this is exceedingly difficult to verbalize since the word structure itself is not only serialized but particleized. You think of entities as particles, for example, rather than as waves of energy, aware and alert, or as patterns. Think of Rupert's living area in adventures, for example. Imagine that at age 13, three strong energy centers come to the surface of the personality, highly charged, so that one person cannot adequately fulfill the desires or abilities presented. You may have a three-way split at age 13. <clears throat> at age 40, each of the three selves may recognize age 13 as a turning point and wonder what might have happened had they chosen other courses. None of this is predetermined. An offshoot probable self might leave your reality at age 13, say, but could intersect with you again at age 30 for a variety of reasons, where to you, you suddenly change a profession or become aware of a talent you thought you had forgotten and find yourself developing it with amazing ease. Your birth coincided with the birth of your mother's child in that other reality. Uh, he's switching here to talk again to, to uh, Joseph, the husband. Your birth coincided with the birth of, the <clears throat> of your mother's child in that other reality. Hence, her stronger feelings toward you. Your birth and that of your youngest brother were highly charged for her. Yours for the reasons just given, and your brother's because it represented the time of your mother's hysterectomy in that other reality. In this reality, Richard's birth represented your father's final attempt to deal with emotional reality. Both of your parents imbued the third son with the strongest emotional qualities of their natures. Your mother had him defiantly, after the usual childbirth age, almost reacting against that probable hysterectomy that she had in the other reality. In this world, she could and would have another child. Your brother Lyndon was the one natural child of this marriage. Watch how you interpret that. But he was the child least affected by other realities. For that reason, however, and because of your parents' personalities here, the same amount of attention was not paid to him psychically, and he felt that lack. I told you in the last session that in one probability, Rupert, that's Jane, Rupert was a nun expressing mysticism in a highly disciplined context where it must be watched so that it does not get out of hand. Because there is an unconscious flow of information and experience here, you have one of the reasons for Rupert's caution in some psychic matters and his fear of leading people astray. 
There were three offshoots. One, the nun, with mysticism conventionally expressed, but under guarded circumstances. One, the writer, who veiled mystical experience through art. And one, the rubric you know, who experienced mystical experience directly, teaches others to do the same, and forms through writing a wedding of the two aspects. You have known two of those selves then. All right, I will stop reading here. And uh, for those of you who haven't listened to earlier sessions or may have forgotten, uh, Seth referred to Jane as Rupert because the larger self of which she is a part had primarily a masculine uh, uh, characteristics uh, from Seth's perspective. And that's the reason for the choice of the word Rupert. But that aside, you can see uh, uh, from just this reading, this, this much, you can see that the interactions among probable selves and their influence upon one another can be quite complex. Now, in my own life, there was a time when I decided I wanted to write a lot of songs and found that I was pretty good at it. It came easily to me. And so I would suspect that uh, somewhere there is a probable self of mine who writes songs. At another time in my life, I really enjoyed being in advertising and related fields. And so I suppose there might be a probable me who stayed in that field. Going back a bit, when I first started in college, I played tennis with a fellow, and I uh, generally uh, beat him. But, you know, he became a tennis pro, <laughs> and uh, I really kind of lost my interest in tennis. In fact, though, although my body was fairly athletic, I was never particularly interested in becoming an athlete. Uh, the one sport I might have taken up was tennis because I never much enjoyed uh, team sports and the uh, discipline of it, uh, whether I was a loner or whatever. I also have extremely fast reflexes that I don't understand. Other people have commented on it and it might have some meaning in another probable version of me, but I have no idea what that would be. In my late 30s, the one overriding desire I seemed to develop was to always help other people see the best in themselves, see their, their best self or their most capable self. So I got into a profession where I seemed to be doing that every day, helping people prepare themselves for job and career changes. And I suppose that's why I'm doing what I'm doing today uh, with these podcasts. But now I'll ask you to take some time, reflect, give some thought was there ever a time in your life when you really felt strongly about taking one route or another, and you did take one route and not the other? But might there be flashbacks? Might there be connections that you haven't really been aware of? Or maybe you have been aware of them. Are there other talents that you don't use every day, but that you suddenly became aware of or decided you suddenly wanted to use them and and so you did, and you found out you were quite good at them, and it came to you pretty easily. Do you have a recurring impulse that you might want to do something or try something that you haven't tried in the past? That too, that too might be a sign that there's a probable you who's doing that. So it might be helpful for you to sit and reflect and think about your past, and was there ever something in the past that you wanted to do, but you didn't, 
And you can decide whether you want to try to pursue it now and see what happens. And if you have a significant other, the two of you could sit down and uh, talk about potential probable selves and how you might have met or not met under varying circumstances. You might have met earlier in life, perhaps, or later, or perhaps not at all. Well, that will end uh, today's session, but I want to point out that uh, in one probability, I would have been discussing today the concept of uh, that we create what we experience, but instead, I wound up doing this. I don't think I'll switch ideas again, but you never know. At any rate, my intent at this time is in our next session to discuss the third development of our advancement, which is understanding that we create what we experience. Again, I'm Dan McEnany, bringing you lessons from the helpful dead.